Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. So we'll be discussing the parable of the rich fool today from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Now, as you know, parables were the primary method that Jesus used in his teaching. Matthew 13, 34 and 35 says that Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, the Greek word for parable means a placing beside. Thus, it is a comparison or an illustration. They were stories from ordinary life used to illustrate spiritual or moral truths. Many of Jesus' parables begin with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like. Thus, they were meant to illustrate what the kingdom of God was like. Jesus used parables to stimulate thinking, illustrate truths, and they were easy to remember because they used familiar scenes. One Bible scholar also says that although parables clarified Jesus' teaching, they also included hidden meaning, needing further explanation. This challenged the sincere in faith to further inquiry. So parables captured the attention of the public by including stories that they could all relate to, and also hidden meanings, prompting listeners to search for deeper hidden spiritual truths. So let's read Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and I'm reading from the CSB. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, Jesus said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He then told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So I think it's important to get the context here. Now, back in the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, it says that a large crowd of many thousands of people have come together to see Jesus. It says that there were so many people gathered together here that they were actually trampling on each other. So imagine the scene. Jesus is in the midst of teaching deep, poignant, spiritual truths to throngs of people I can imagine that they're all pressing in, hanging on his every word. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we hear a man yells, Teacher, tell my brother to share with me. I mean, how do you think you would respond to a situation like that? I mean, I know what I would probably say, uh, security. Or I probably would just have ignored him altogether. I mean, not only is this man interrupting Jesus, but his question is completely off topic. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
I mean, Jesus is focusing on spiritual matters, and this man is asking a question from a completely materialistic point of view, or so it seems. I mean, why would the man feel the need to blurt out this random question at such an inopportune time? I mean, either he's in the habit of just blurting out whatever is on his mind in that moment, or this situation is weighing so heavily on him that he can't help himself. I believe that's why he came to Jesus that day, not to hear, for, not to hear him teach, but to get Jesus to do this for him. Now notice he calls Jesus teacher or rabbi. In Jewish culture, rabbis held authority and they often settled disputes and legal issues. So he saw Jesus as someone who could do something for him. Now, we aren't made privy to the backstory here. I mean, we don't know if the man's brother is keeping all the inheritance for himself, or maybe his brother is the firstborn. And according to Jewish law in Deuteronomy 21, 16, and 17, the firstborn received a double portion of the inheritance. And maybe this man doesn't think it's fair. You see, I think that's why he's there that day. I don't think he's coming from a lawful desire to get what is rightfully his own. I think it's from a sinful desire of getting more than his own. We see here a man who has come to Jesus not to learn from him, but to get something from him. He had no grasp on who Jesus really was and what he came to do. He was completely focused on his current situation. The man missed Jesus' message that no one can come to God except through Jesus. So in verse 14, Jesus says to the man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? You see, Jesus did not come to earth to solve family disputes. Matthew Henry says that Jesus did not come to be a divider of men's estates. He came to be a director of their consciences towards them. You see, the man missed Jesus' mission Jesus came to sacrifice himself for the sins of mankind and offer salvation to those who would place their faith and trust in him. You see, Jesus refuses to get involved here because it would not solve the real problem, which was the greed and covetousness in the man's heart. He wanted Jesus to serve him, not save him. This was a heart issue, not a wealth issue. So in verse 15, Jesus goes on to say, Watch out, be on your guard, he told them, against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. So in an instant, Jesus, the master teacher, sees the bigger issue, the man's covetous heart. That's why I believe the man is angry that his brother probably received a double portion. I don't think he's looking for justice. I think he's looking for more. That's the reason why Jesus responds the way that he does regarding greed. And if this is the case, then it's not that the man received nothing. He just didn't think he received enough. And you see, that's the truth about greed and coveting. It's not necessarily wanting what someone else has. It can also be wanting more of what we already have. Whatever he had was not sufficient for him. And in an instant, Jesus concluded that this man's issue is every man's issue. That's why in verse 15, he moves from addressing the man to addressing the crowd. 
And Jesus says that one's life, one's comfort and happiness is not found in material things. Now, we may be thinking, well, I don't want to be rich. I mean, I don't want a lot more. But even wanting a little more, not being content with what we have, as Paul says in Philippians 4.12, means that we don't believe that God is adequately providing for our needs. This kind of discontent dampens our faith in him to provide for us. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't ask for things? Well, of course not. Philippians 4, 6 tells us to let all our requests be made known to God. But what is our motivation for our requests? Is it a need or a want? Am I asking for something that God would want me, for, want me to have? And Jesus says to be on your guard against greed, because it is a sin that is constantly tempting us. Therefore, we must continually be warned of its dangers. And Jesus warns the people of the dangers of greed by telling them a parable. Now, remember, Jesus is being interrupted here, but he allows this interruption in order to administer a life lesson. And what an example this is. I mean, are we so focused on our agendas for the day that we are unable or unwilling to be interrupted or inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel to help someone in need? Do we even see opportunities to share the love of Jesus when they cross our path? Several years ago, I was at a meeting for the nursery program at church, and one of the committee members, I'll call her A, hadn't arrived yet, and we couldn't start the meeting without her, so we waited. We waited 10, 15, 20 minutes. Now, in the meantime, I was thinking about all the things that I could be doing instead of waiting. And when she finally arrived, she said that she had left especially early that day in order to stop and get gas before the meeting. But at the gas station, she encountered an elderly woman who was lost and disoriented. So she stayed there with the woman until the police arrived. She stayed with her until they could figure out where she was from. And she stayed with her until she got home safely. Now, I know that being at that meeting was important to A, but she was being flexible and open to God's interruptions. She had a plan for her day, but God had a different plan. And because of her willingness to be interrupted, a dear woman was able to get back home safely. Now, as we move on through the parable, I think it's important to notice all the personal pronouns going on here. I mean, it says, the man thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grains and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. I mean, where do you think this man's focus lies? So it says a man's crop is so productive that he has to build bigger barns to store all his grains and goods. So his problem is too much wealth. Now, that may not sound like much of a problem, but there are dangers with too much prosperity. According to Matthew 13, 22, too much prosperity can choke out the word of God in our lives. It can also create snares and temptations, according to 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. 
it can give a false sense of security. According to 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. And if we think that this is not really an issue for us, then consider the fact that the global median income for an individual is roughly $2,100 per year. Comparatively speaking, we are all very rich in this country. So the rich man in verse 18 decides to build bigger barns to store his crops and goods. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with following sound business principles and saving for the future. 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us that. But again, what was his motivation? Helping others and serving God with his wealth? He only wanted to please and satisfy himself. In verse 19, he says, I will say to myself, you have many goods for many years. Take it easy. Enjoy yourself. The man sees himself living out the rest of his days in abundance and pleasure. He has a false view of what life is truly about. He saw life to be lived to profit himself and lasting many more years. He deemed earthly security and pleasure the pinnacle of human existence. But James 4.14 says, You don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be like. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Henry David Thoreau said, A man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to let alone. So in verse 20, God says, You fool! This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, notice back in verse 17, it says, The man thinks to himself. In verse 18, he says to himself. And in 19, he also says to himself. You see, the man is having all these private conversations with himself. But in verse 20, God knows and responds. One commentator says that God in heaven observes and knows that which we think to ourselves. And we are accountable for it. We kid ourselves if we think our thought lives are immune from judgment just because we may not act on it. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, I'm not talking about um, those fleeting thoughts that pop into our head at random. I'm speaking about the thoughts that we ruminate on, the thoughts that we focus on. Martin Luther says, you can't be blamed if a bird lands on your head, but you can be blamed if you let it build a nest there. You see, there's a difference between dwelled upon thoughts and fleeting thoughts. And God knew that this man's thought life revolved around having more. So there's a danger in wanting more. But I believe that Jesus is also pointing out in this parable the dangers of having more. I mean, the man had everything he could ever want from a materialistic point of view. Therefore, he had no desire or need for God. I believe God allows us to be needy in some respects so that we will stay connected to him. I mean, how can we see God fix that which is broken if we were never broken? How can we see him turn darkness into light if we were never in the dark? Change bad into good if we never experienced bad? You see, this man had no room for God because his life was so filled with stuff. 
and where did it get him? This very night your life is demanded of you. Matthew Henry says many who have an abundance in this world are completely destitute of that which will enrich their souls. This man was throwing his life into something that was not going to last. He thought he had many years yet to live, but God says this night your life is demanded of you. He lived his life as if it was his to command, and now it is going to be God's to command. The greatest thing in life is not what we leave behind, but what lies before us. Eternity with God, or like this man, perhaps an eternity without him. And so the final question God asks is, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, no one is going to benefit from this man's investments because he only did it for himself. So it begs the question, what are we investing in? Are we investing our time, talents, and treasures into something that will last? Like spreading the love of Jesus and helping those around us? Because Jesus tells us in verse 21, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. This is what it means to be rich towards God. So are we investing our lives into what God wants for us? That is what will last. You see, wealth can be enjoyed and employed at the same time if our purpose is to honor God. And so that is our challenge for the week to commit ourselves to investing into building up and sharing the love of Jesus with someone else, because that is what will truly last. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.